This welcome meeting in, is being recorded. Welcome into another episode of We're Talking. Today we're talking football, Sunbelt Conference football with Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. Danny, how are you this evening? I'm good, buddy. Hope you're doing well. I am, except for the cold. I am not do not like the cold in its it's in the 40s right here it might have been up to 50 today but still i don't like the cold there's a reason i moved back south and this was not well, it today in statesboro it went from 32 to 75 down to 43 oh that might have been us a couple days ago no. so we're not going to do that we're going to go from uh 53 to 30 to 58 to 41. So the next week is not going to be fun. I'm glad I'm spending some time in Tallahassee, Florida this weekend. So hopefully the weather might be a little still, better. I would still bring a pullover just in case. Oh, I plan on it. Trust me. Okay. Okay. So, but thank you. So let's go back to last Thursday night. Uh, not... Uh, Cajuns came out on top, uh, not the way uh, your team wanted to play or win. But what was the difference in that game? Uh, for from what you've seen, both on the Georgia Southern side and the uh, the Cajun side, from what you know, how was that? How did that play out different? If that well, I think we knew that Georgia Southern's weakness was stopping the run, and the Cajuns went for well over two hundred yards, which Georgia Southern is now given up. 200 plus rushing six times this year and look their bottom five in the country in rushing yards per game so it's not like that was a big surprise what really hurt georgia southern is that the offense couldn't stay on the field and a week ago against south alabama georgia southern went into that contest they'd only gone three and out 12 times in their first eight games South Alabama made them go five, three and out five times and then three and out three more times against the Cajuns. And for an offense that throws the ball uh, better than 45 times per game, when you're going three and out, most of the time that means you have the ball for about 60 seconds, which means, number one, you can't get into any kind of rhythm. Two, oftentimes you're dealing with third and more than medium. And three, you're not occupying the football. You're not taking any clock off. And that's what the Eagles have been really good with for much of the season is that they've been in third and medium. And that's why they came in two weeks ago. They were still, I think, as good as 53% on third down. They've been top five in the country for much of the season up until these last two weeks. But the lack of success running the football, putting themselves in third and long, some ill-timed penalties, a lot of them are coming on first downs where – uh, false starts or what have you, delay games. It's it's making for first and 15. So to get to that third and medium has been more difficult. And then you factor in the number of injuries that have really started to pile up. I mean, Georgia Southern suffered three season-ending injuries on that Thursday night game. You lose a long snapper, you lose your biggest defensive tackle, and you lose your most dynamic playmaker at wide receiver for the rest of the season. Now, granted, Caleb Hood, did set the school record for catches in a season and catches in a career, which was tremendous to watch. But when you think about the three guys that came out, especially losing a long snapper, which very few teams ever have to deal with in any course of a season, but it's up to, I think, 12 season-ending injuries ever since the start of fall camp. And half of those have been the last three weeks. So it has a way of punching you in a different way, and it hits a little bit harder considering that the Eagles uh, about three weeks ago needed only one victory to get to bowl eligibility. They've lost their last two, and now they only have two more shots to try to get to the postseason. So it's a little bit more difficult. Absolutely. Let me uh, the the 21 incompletions, though, was that an anomaly, do you think, or what, is that how you kind of played – all season and I'll tell you the reason no, I'm I, asking because it seems like guys and I know um, I'm only using it from my vantage point as a spotter but it seems like when when, got, when teams play against us their guys open drop wide open passes and I was just curious if that was a common theme or something new 
Well, Georgia Southern's been around 60% completion for much of the year. And look, when you throw the ball a lot, you're going to complete a lot of passes, but you're also going to incomplete a lot of passes. I don't know if that's the right way to say that, but something that really frustrated Georgia Southern, I think the Cajuns had the best pass rush that Georgia Southern has seen all year. And, and number one, the stat show, because the Eagles came in having given up only three sacks all season and close to 450 pass attempts. The Cajuns get two sacks. One of those was a sack fumble at the end of the first half when Georgia Southern was driving, trying to at least make it a one-score game going into the locker room. But then Kenny Almendares hits one of his five field goals. But there, I'm sure there, if you go back and watch, there were probably somewhere in the neighborhood of two to five drops, what you could classify as drops. But there are also some really good plays that were made. Evan Lester made an outstanding 25-yard catch right before the halfback option pass from O.J. Arnold to Derwin Burgess before he got hurt. That netted 32. And then Marcus Sanders had a 25-yard touchdown catch, the first of his career, the first of what we think is going to be a lot of touchdowns. I think he's going to be a really good one. He's got the frame now of somebody that can earn a lot more reps and with the injuries that have been suffered. I mean, you, you're basically down for your top options at receiver going into the last two weeks, even though it looks like Jeremy Singleton is going to be okay against Marshall this weekend. So Sanders is going to naturally have to step up at least a little bit on the outside. He's going to see his volume of footballs, and hopefully against a really strong secondary, he'll be able to shine through a little bit. Yeah, it, it, like I said, it, it was just something that I, I was curious because uh, – it, it, I don't get to watch a lot of your games, so but the the drop passes, it seems like that happened a lot to ULM when they played us and several other teams seem like they just dropped wide open passes. But but I agree with you. I think it, it, you know when you when you're throwing the ball 49 times, you're probably going to have some drops. You're going to have some balls that were thrown away. You're going to have some uncatchable balls as well. So um, I think Beatrice could have been sacked as many as five times on Thursday. And I was also impressed with the way that Lamar Morgan was very inconsistent with his pressures. And I'm not going to use that in a bad way, but the fact that he was able to mix things up so much, and there were a number of times, especially on third downs where defensively there was one defensive lineman and it was in a stand-up position. And the number of years ago, that was the amoeba defense that some of the teams in the NFL were using and that, that major colleges were using where guys were just kind of floating around and offensive linemen are thinking, okay, I'm used to having someone here, here, and here. I don't know exactly who to block. And it puts more pressure on you, especially on third downs, because if you don't convert, you're either going to turn it over, you're going to have to pump the football. But I was impressed the way that he put his defense together. And for the most part, Georgia Southern just didn't have an answer for it. I thought that was our best uh, defensive performance of the year. And unfortunately, the other the other good performances I thought that we had uh, against uh, South Alabama and uh, Troy. Yes, we played Troy already. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, came in losses. So, uh, but no, uh, yes. I think Coach Coach Morgan, uh, defensive coordinator, is is gelling nicely into his job, and I hope we can keep him here a few years. Would you mind if we took a sidebar for some basketball for a moment? No, I was going to actually. Uh, sure, go ahead. Okay, I know we we might talk about this a little bit later, but App State is playing Louisville. Louisville just made a shot, which would have given them the victory at the buzzer. They just went to review it. The layup was late. So another power five victory for the Sun Belt. App just beat Louisville 61 to 60. And that means that that's the second of the week because Troy went to Tallahassee the night before and was pretty comfortable in beating Florida State. So a, a lot of our a lot of our confidence in this league is associated with the improved football, but it looks like basketball is starting to get up to speed a little bit. No, I wanted to ask you about that, and we'll get into it more later on because I'm I'm curious because I'm uh I had the Vanderbilt's playing Temple. I don't know how good Temple is, but I'm realizing Vanderbilt's 0-2. Is that a team that, uh, you know, they're in the SEC, but sometimes in football, if you're Vanderbilt, that doesn't mean that you're really in the SEC, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, it's been a long day. It's been a long week so far. It's Tuesday. So, no, thank you for that update because – 
I, I, I did not have it on. I've been flipping around a little bit. So, all right, well, let's move on from, from Thursday night. Let's get a little closer, which, because Thursday night seems like uh, years ago. But uh, uh, UMass, uh, Arkansas State, you know, UMass is not a very good football team, but it's at the same time, it's a game Ar Arkansas State has to win, and they did. Uh, did you get to any chance to see much of that or notice much of that? The only thing that I saw was the stop on the two-point play that would have tied the game. And to be honest, when the ball was caught, there were a, there was a lot more space than what was when the tackle was made. And I thought for sure it was going to be tied and go to overtime. But credit the Red Wolves for getting the stop inches away from the end zone. And that's that was that was probably not a game that the country was all that concerned about, considering the struggles of both programs. But for Arkansas State protecting home field, that was a game they absolutely had to win. I don't know if they were anticipating it being that close, but they did make the play when they had to. Yeah, and 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 the previous touchdown, Arkansas State. Uh, I'm sorry, UMass had went to two, went for two and uh, got it. So that's a big stop for them and. Uh, a nice win. You got to do that at home. You got to do that, especially against the UMass team. So uh, moving on, uh, App State visually Marshall, a lot of animosity through the years going back a long time now. Any surprise there, though, with uh, Marshall coming out on top of this one? Uh, you know, Marshall has lost a couple of home games this year, but I think we've talked before when we visited that Marshall has some really good talent at a number of different positions. It just, for whatever reason, hasn't clicked, whether it's been the inconsistencies of quarterback or their red zone offense. That, that was a game that it would have been very tough for them to lose because it was, it was their 75 game. And that was the celebration of the 75 people that perished in the plane crash on November the 14th of 1970. And the decals on the helmet commemorated that. They actually, the center helmet sticker listed all 75 people that passed away on the DC-9 crash that happened after the game against East Carolina. And look, as a Georgia Southern person, it doesn't happen very often where I'm going to give App State credit for something. But... App also honored the memory of those people, but they had a helmet decal as well. And I thought that that was incredibly classy of them to do. Sean Elliott, or I'm sorry, Sean Clark grew up in Charleston, which is not terribly far from Huntington. He went to George Washington High School, which is about an hour away from campus. So I think that one was, was a hard thing for him. And despite that being a pretty intense rivalry, to see App step up like that and do something like that, that was a really, really cool thing for them to do. Absolutely. I did not know that. I, I, I knew about the plane crash and everything did not know about the uh, anniversary game. So thank you for sharing that. Um, now I've lost all thought there thinking about that. So, but we'll move on. Uh, Troy army army is a team that, uh, you know, needed the win to get bowl eligible has two FCS games. Uh, playing at Troy, though, how much of a surprise is that? Because, I mean, a 10-9 game. Well, considering the style that Army plays, it's conducive to lower scoring games. And I'm guessing that some of the fringe teams in this league, Louisiana included, were probably fairly happy with that result because that's a, that's a secondary bowl tie-in that Army was part of with the Independence Bowl. Now, look, it's supposed to be – uh, the American versus Army, but Army's out now, so it'll go to Conference USA. But assuming that Conference USA cannot fill the slot, the Sun Belt could have as many as 10 bowl-eligible teams by the time the next couple of weeks finish up. So maybe that's a slot that gets the Sun Belt to six bowl tie-ins. But Troy didn't get a touchdown until the fourth quarter. I think Army had a field goal try late that would have given them the lead and the victory. But the big part of that game was Carlton Marshall setting the FBS record for tackles. And look, I, we're going to talk about ULM a little bit later on and Quay Drake and how he had two defensive touchdowns against Georgia State. But 
probably the only time in history of the conference that he wouldn't win defensive player of the week because Marshall set the FBS record in tackles. I think he had 17 more stops. He, he's just been an amazing performer over these last five years and a well-earned record for him and for that program. And I think they've won seven in a row now. So they've, they've quickly gotten things right with John Sumrall. Good. Um, no, I, I guess I was a little shocked that, uh, I guess Troy wasn't able to score as much on army, uh, and needed basically a fourth quarter touchdown. Not basically, I shouldn't say that they did need a fourth quarter touchdown to win that game. So that was a little, I guess that was a little shocking part. So, but South Alabama, Texas State, I don't think there is any big surprise there. Uh, does Texas State, I mean, there's there's still two games left to play in, in, in the league and everything, so, or, or I shouldn't say in the season, and at three wins, I'm sorry, that's, yes, three wins. I, I just don't know if, if, that's, uh, if that's a team that can, that's going to be able to, uh, withstand it without having a new coach they do have arkansas state and they do have the cajuns which the cajuns have had their numbers haven't lost to them but that's 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 a whole nother story there any any well, surprise I mean, texas state's probably thinking that they've got two winnable games left despite the struggles against the cajuns they've, they've got to think that okay arkansas state is down the cajuns relatively are down even though they're only in need of one more win to get the bowl eligibility themselves. But with Florida State coming up this weekend, that's going to be a very difficult thing to pull off. Not impossible by any means, but that's going to be a tough one to pull off. And then there's the chance that the Cajuns are playing for bowl eligibility with Texas State standing in their way. And look, we know that the Bobcats have enough talent in certain positions, but last weekend was a tough ask against a South Alabama team that's by far the best that they've had since they made the move up to the FBS. I mean, they started out really well their first two years when they were unclassified, but give Kane Womack credit for the culture that he has built. And he's done it in a number of different ways. The last couple of weeks, I think that it's been well publicized that the, they had an offensive lineman get kicked out of the Georgia Southern game for spitting on an Eagle. He did not play in that contest against Texas state. And then there were two other individuals that were flagged for, I believe either personal fouls or unsportsmanlike conducts and Womack, has basically laid down the law to say, look, you can travel with us. You're not going to celebrate with the team after the game. You're not going to dress with the team. And for an era where it, it, it's been a lot about student athlete entitlement for him to go that hard line and to say, look, if you're going to do things here, we're going to win. We're going to do it the right way. I, I applaud him for the way that he is trying to build his team. Th those were really strong statements. And I think that it was really important for him to do that, especially in the middle of their best season. Absolutely. I, that is good to hear and, and to see. Um, the, the, the Southern Miss headed to uh, Coastal. Um, I don't know that it's actually a, a, a little bit of a surprise, I guess, but at the same time, I know Southern Miss can do what they need to do on offense, but they're, they're still not there. Uh, any surprise for you at that game? I mean, Coastal needing six points to win at the end or in the fourth quarter? Well, I think oh, I think part of people wanted to pick Southern Miss just for the fact that how was Coastal going to respond with no Grayson McCall because he's definitely done for the rest of the regular season. Who knows if he's going to be back for a bowl game. It doesn't look like he's going to be available for a conference championship game now that they've clinched the East. But as much as it's going to pain the league to do this and a lot of fan bases and cultures across this conference, you got to give credit to the Coastal for what they've done. I mean, they're nine and one, despite losing a lot of star power, especially off that defense from last year. But Jamie Chadwell can coach ball. He knows how to build teams. He knows how to win. They probably should have at least four or five losses at this point in the year. But for whatever reason, they just keep winning. Southern Miss gave them everything they wanted. I, I, I really like their program. I think Will Hall is only going to do positive things with them as they go forward. But Coastal just has this, this quality that when it comes down to it, when push comes to shove, they're going to win. And, you know, this weekend, okay, is it going to be 10-1? and one? But you've also got to consider they're supposed to play Virginia. 
And with what's happened in Charlottesville these last couple of days, I mean, no official announcement has been made on whether or not they're going to play the game. I would be shocked if they play that game. I mean, they, they still might, but I would be really surprised if they do. And it, that's, that's not the point. But in, in the perspective of where you can go schedule-wise, if you want to finish 11-1, and one, just for the sake of that conversation, but with the horror that's happened on the campus of the University of Virginia these last couple of days, I would imagine that playing a football game may be pretty far from people's minds, but maybe they also can get to a point where it might be part of the healing process. We just got to find out where, where that's going to be once we get to the later part of the week. And I don't think anybody that uh, has gone through that has a good idea one way or the other what's needed. Uh, you know, uh, to Coastal's credit, they're leaving it up to Virginia. You know, it's uh, – I've had my beast with Coastal, as most Cajun fans, but that's a, that, that's a tough one either way that it goes for them. There's going to be no right, and I don't think there's going to be any wrong answer what, what goes on there. I think Coastal would be a little bit, probably a little bit, see, I don't know if there's a right word to use here. I think that they would probably be a little bit frustrated if they didn't play the game, but they would totally understand yes. if they didn't play the game because this is this is nothing that you are prepared for. You can try to bring in psychologists, mental health professionals to train your team to be able to handle adversity. Nobody is ready for something like this. Nobody. And the more and more that we see it, it doesn't mean that we handle it better. It just means that it keeps happening. And you know, here in, in states where we've got a number of connections to the, to the University of Virginia, there are guys that play for Georgia Southern that know guys that are on that team. In fact, a couple of teammates from high school were one of the guys that perished in the shooting. So that means that they're having to deal with a couple of things and playing a football game, it might help. It may be the farthest thing that they want to worry about, but it, it's, it, it sucks that at this day and age, that this is something that we have to worry about. And I'll even, I'll even take you back a few years. I remember right before I graduated college back in 2007, when the mass shooting happened at Virginia tech, not terribly far away in Blacksburg and look, it's tough to get college students to sit down and pay attention to something for a very long time. But I remember the house that we were living in that spring, we were locked on that TV that entire night. Once we got the word about the shooting, we watched all the coverage the entire night. We didn't care about anything else. And look, that was in Southwestern Pennsylvania, not like it was next door to Blacksburg, Virginia. But when you're at that point in your life, I think it hits you because it could have been you. Yep. nobody wants to think about that but you just you never really know when you're up when your number is going to get called and the curveballs that life is going to throw you and when life tells you that hey it, it's not going to go the way that you think it that it is and I, I hate the fact that this comes up as much as it does and I hate the fact that coaches have to act like mental health professionals because a lot of coaches probably have never dealt with this before, but they've got to try to shape and comfort the minds of 18 to 22 year olds about how they need to handle this in the public eye, because they're all going to be judged about how they move forward from an incident like this, whether they're associated with it or not. But the hope is that whether you have done this for the first time or the hundredth time, you can at least be a model for people that, you just need to find a way to move forward and you need to do it in the most positive way possible. Well said. Uh, let's move on to our final game, uh, Georgia State ULM. Um, Good for the Warhawks. That's what I'll say about that. Good <laughs> for the Warhawks. God love the Warhawks. Yeah, I know you're not going to say that a whole lot, but man, oh man, when I saw that final score, I knew they were down going into the fourth quarter. I saw the final score. The first text went to Mike Hammett, the voice of the Warhawks. I was so happy that they came back and won that game. You know, he had posted pictures on Facebook of, of the uh, of the booth, as you know well, and as I know, uh, yeah, being in that corner, it's kind of neat that you're in uh, a former baseball booth, but at the same time, when they blow that freaking air horn or train horn or well, I'd like to shove it up their butt. 
So, <laughs> you know, I, I keep asking if they'll give me a tour so I can go find where that thing actually gets set off from. And it's my goal to get that deactivated. But in three tries up there, I haven't been able to figure that out. So may, maybe, maybe in a couple years. Danny, you're not going to get a tour of the place. They couldn't even tell us where our booth was when we were there last. I mean, oh my goodness. I thought Dave, I thought Jay was going to die because he couldn't breathe. I had back issues. Gerald, I think, had had surgery early in the year. We're wandering around. Cody's trying to handle three-fourths of the equipment. Oh, my God. I, I thought we yeah, were all going to die. Yeah, but, at least you, but at least you won that game. That's true. It, it took uh, overtime, I believe. I yeah, remember. Mitchell. Yes. So, all right. Well, let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll talk about this week's schedule. We'll talk a little bit more basketball about what's coming up. You're listening. We're talking with Craig Malasso and Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. This meeting is being recorded. Welcome back into We're Talking tonight. Craig Malasso and Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. Danny, some uh, some games coming up that should be fun. Uh, George Georgia State he- heading to James Madison, uh, I believe, and I should have looked at this before I clicked on it. Uh, I know, we know James Madison is bowl uh, in not eligible for a bowl game. Does I don't think Georgia. Well, I guess technically Georgia State does have a chance. So yeah, I think they need to win out. Yes. They do, but they play. Uh, they play James Madison. And they play Marshall, which uh, will be very. Does Marshall also have two FCS wins? Yes. So they're well, at six. They're just like App State. They played. I don't know if we've talked about this specifically, but Marshall and App were supposed to play this year as non-conference, but when they joined the same league, because initially. This was not going to happen until 23, but because they bumped it up a year, Marshall and App playing as conference foes needed them to have another non-conference game, so it was late. So they had to go get FCS teams, but by doing that, they both had multiple FCS squads. So now that they have that, they need to win seven to be bowl eligible. And for App, they need to win their last two. They've got Old Dominion at home, then they come to Statesboro on the 26th. For Marshall, they're here. And then they've got Georgia State, but they only need to win one of those if they want to get to bowl because they're six and four. Crazy. So, um, what do you see out of that game, though? Is that is that a game that I mean, uh, we we saw Georgia State struggle most of the year, uh, but then they they do crazy things, and but it, they're playing at James Madison. So, is what? I know anything can happen, but what's your thoughts on the game? I know who you're pulling for, but. Well, uh, number one, Harrisonburg is a great college town. So for the 13 Panther fans that actually go to the game, they'll have a chance to enjoy that. On the other side, this is a really cool matchup with Georgia State's ability to run the football with James Madison's outstanding run defense. Look, I know that they've been knocked off a little bit since that 5-0 and start, but they are tremendous against the run. They get into the gaps they need to be in. They tackle really well. They do struggle against the pass. So the fact that Georgia State is more RPO-based, I think, could help them, which might put a little bit more on Darren Granger's right arm than it does his two feet. But knowing that JMU is at home, where they have been remarkably tough to beat, as an FCS team and look bumping up it look I, I know that when you go up a level things have to be considered but I would tend to give the edge to James Madison at home if this game was in Atlanta I probably would say Georgia State but I, I would say JMU at home but I think it's going to be a fairly close game I think they've got just enough to hold them off yeah I'm kind of the, thinking the same way you are with with that because for James Madison at six and three 
not being able to go to a bowl game, I think at this point they kind of want to win out and do what they can just to show that, hey, they belong and, and they don't have to worry about those types of things. Uh, and, and they've got a good opportunity, I think, with Georgia State and Coastal Carolina the final week of the season. So should be fun to watch them. Lost, keep losing my place here. ULM headed to Troy. Uh, ULM, I believe, needs both. Can still get bowl eligible, but uh, Troy is standing in the way, and I forgot who ULM has on their last uh, last game. They have Southern Miss, which I think is going to be a good game, uh, although some might not see it that way. But I think both teams are playing better. But for right now, let's talk about uh, ULM going to Southern uh, to, to Troy. What do you see there? Is that an opportunity for the Warhawks? Sure, but the thing about this is that you always look for what teams are playing for this late in the season. For ULM, yeah, they need to win their last two to get back to a bowl. Troy still has South Alabama nipping at its heels. I think that the magic number for Troy is two. Any combination of their wins and South Alabama losses would clinch the West for them. So they could do it this weekend, but uh, Troy's probably the hottest team. The, and not necessarily the fact that they're the best team, but they've won seven in a row and they've done it in a variety of ways. We've already talked about Carlton Marshall a little bit earlier. It's a tough spot for ULM, even though they're more than capable of making this a tight game. But it, it feels like Troy is getting exactly what they were hoping for from John Sumrall. And for a lot of people, they wanted him as early as 2020 or 2019, I mean. But you have to wonder if he would have been hired then if he would have been ready. Getting him a couple of extra years to work in an SEC environment. He's coming there from Kentucky. It, it, it turned out that he was the perfect guy at the right time. Troy is exactly where they feel that they should be. They have a very proud tradition, a national championship tradition. And for me, there's no reason to think that they won't be able to handle ULM this weekend. I, I don't know that they run away with it because ULM does have some weapons, but I don't think that ULM has enough to go there and win. If I'm doing the math right, you are correct. A combination of uh, uh, it's two games essentially. So a, a Troy win and a South Alabama loss would clinch it because Troy has the win over South Alabama. So um, going head to head, they will have the uh, the tiebreaker. So lots to play for for them. But you you spoke about we both spoke about them here. Southern Miss headed into uh, or actually. Uh, South Alabama uh, heading into Hattiesburg this weekend. That's a, to me is a very interesting and a, and a huge matchup uh, for the Sunbelt Conference because you've got the opportunity for uh, for someone like S Southern Miss to, to continue to roll a little bit and to get to bowl eligible this weekend. So even though they still have two games left on their on their on their their schedule, big opportunity for both teams there, and especially if South Alabama wants to stay in the hunt. Yeah, and I think for one, Southern Miss is trying to get to a bowl, and I think that they upset South Alabama this weekend because they, they've lost the last two years, and I want to say that South ended a long road losing streak there two years ago during the COVID season, and that was the first game of the year, and Jay Hobson, the former head coach for Southern Miss, got I think he resigned the, either the next day or two days later, then they hired another coach who's now at Austin P. And they had three coaches in the same year before they got to Will Hall. If, if you're going to try to make things interesting pick-wise, I would say Southern Miss pulls the upset just because they seem to play really well at the Rock. They've, they've got a fantastic fan base, and the Cajuns can really speak to that from that midweek game a couple of weeks ago. And it's unfortunate that Georgia Southern and the Golden Eagles don't play yet. I don't, I don't know when they're exactly going to match up when the conference schedule rolls back around, but I, I'm really looking forward to sharing that story. And hopefully John Cox is still there. I know he's been the voice of Southern Miss for more than four decades, but he's one of the deans in this league and one of the most recognizable guys all across college athletics. But knowing how well Southern Miss plays at home, and I, I wonder for South Alabama if they don't take – one more 
one more chop block, so to speak, before they get ready for the postseason. Because I do think Troy is going to win the West, and part of that is because they've got the head-head victory. But I think that the West gets takes gets taken care of this week, and I think Troy beats ULM, and I think that Southern Miss upsets South Alabama. Very interesting. Not not uh, not upset about it at all. Cajuns aren't in, so it's kind of hard not to be upset or to be upset, I should say. Um, Arkansas State heading to uh, Texas State. Uh, we've been talking about this almost since week four. I mean, must win for Texas State for their coach to keep the, keep his job? I, I hate speculating like that, but I'll, I'll just say that this is a game that Texas State should win because I think that I think they have more talent. I think that Arkansas State is trying to do things a different way. And when Butch Jones was hired, he understood that this was going to be not just a quick fix, but this was going to be quite the turnaround after Blake Anderson ended up going to Utah State. I think for the first time in a long while, Texas State has more talent than Arkansas State. I think it fits together a little bit better. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take the Bobcats. I'm going to I'm going to take them by two scores. I I, I think that they. I think that they figure it out, and I think that they handle this one pretty easily. I think I agree with you. I I, I think Butch Jones is going to end up winning there as well at, at Arkansas State, but I I don't I don't think he's that team is ready yet to, to put it nicely. So, um, App State is off this week. No, they play. Oh, we must pass it up. Old Dominion headed to App State. Sorry about that. There you go. There you go. I'm, 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 uh, App seems to be slipping a little bit, uh, but you know, showing you know two losses in the row, but at the same time, Old Dominion's four losses in a row. So how how do they get out of their funk? I guess. Well, Old Dominion could make the rest of the league scratch the top of their heads if they could win this game in Boone because it would knock App out of bowl eligibility. They need to win their last two games, and there's a trip to Statesboro mixed in there as well to end the season, so Georgia Southern will have a direct say in that. But it's going to be really tough for the Monarchs. I know they've got Jason Henderson, a middle linebacker. He broke the lead re league record in tackles last week, and he seems like he's at least 15 tackles a game every week, and he's had to be that good with the way that they defend, it seems like they want people to run the ball against them and they are just not going to give anything up at the pass with and it, what's going to make it so tough is number one, the six, nine tight end Zach Koontz was already out for the year with a knee injury. Ollie Jennings didn't play last week in their loss. He's out for the year. He had to have surgery this week. So they're down their top receiver, their top tight end. It's going to put even more pressure on the running back, Blake Watson, they do just enough with their pass game. I think that they're efficient more than they're effective. They, they need to play a certain way in order to be successful. And defensively, they're going to give themselves a shot. But it, it seems like there's way too much tilting in App's favor for Old Dominion to go up there and pull the upset. It, it, it seems like App gets number six, and then you know, they come to Statesboro the weekend after trying to get to number seven. Yeah, and for those that are listening, if you're tuning in late or if you, did, if you didn't catch that, uh, App State is uh... – needs two wins out because they had two FCS games. You know, I know the, the, they played two FCS and Marshall played two FCS, which we explained, but so did army. You think one of them could have picked up army, but probably neither one of them wanted that figuring they didn't need that extra game. So it'll come back. All righty. Uh, Cajuns headed to Florida state. The Cajuns, uh, this is the first time ever playing Florida State, and actually the only wins that they have by teams in the state of Florida uh, have been by uh, beating Florida International and beating Miami in 1929, uh, but since that time, they have not beat a team from Florida. Um, what do the Cajuns have to do to beat a team like Florida State? Well, maybe watch a little bit of that ULM tape from recently and watch the Jacksonville State tape from last year. I don't, I don't know if any of that helps. But it, to, it's, it seems like if you're going to win a game like this, whatever you do, you've got to do it really well. You can't misstep. 
if you get a chance to make a play on defense, you've got to force a turnover or make sure you get a tackle for loss or don't let somebody convert a third down. Offensively, you can't commit penalties that set you back, get you off schedule. You can't drop passes. You, you just know that the talent level on the other side, you feel like eventually is going to win out, even if the record doesn't say the case. I know that Florida State has had a bounce back year and they're a three score favorite in this game. If the Cajuns can run the football and control the clock, they'll give themselves a chance. And what helps is that you've got about four different running backs that could do the job. Let Ben Wooldridge be efficient enough with big receivers. And that's something that gets underrated in matchups like this for a team to have two receivers, at least six foot four against power five defensive backs. That's going to be a big help. And then defensively, use a similar recipe that was the case against Georgia Southern last Thursday. Pressure the quarterback and confuse Florida State on defense. Oh. From your mouth to God's ears, our coaches. There you ears. go. So <laughs> I, I will be there supporting my team. So uh, finally. Have you been to the dope before? I have not. Okay. I have not. So this will be a first. I've uh, seen Florida State play in the Sugar Bowl uh, on more than one occasion. Once when. Uh, uh, primetime was a player uh, I saw them play and uh, I've seen I've been to a couple Sugar Bowls where they played so uh, it'll be it'll be very interesting to uh, see what goes on. I don't know if on. this is still the case but I think that at one point it was the biggest brick structure or the biggest all brick stadium in the country and I could be terribly off base on that but when you get there you'll you'll, you'll see a lot of bricks. Okay thank you that's a little tidbit I would not have thought of and realized but, uh marshall uh headed to georgia southern heading statesboro you know you guys had to play on a thursday night on a short week uh uh no you had actually you had some time off it looks like but no you had a short week i'm sorry geez i'm looking at wrong thing here uh but you, short week you had to come to to, to louisiana but you, your last two games are at home and you need one of those two games to get to bowl eligibility. Eligibility. What do the what do the Eagles need to do this week to beat Marshall? Number one, they've got to have a pulse with their run defense, and we we mentioned that a little bit earlier on. But for all the talented running backs that Georgia Southern has seen this year, I think that Kalen Laburn is the best. Uh, I'm I'm highly highly impressed by the way he's built, the way he runs, the way he just bounces off tacklers. And the crazy thing is, is that Georgia Southern has played Anthony Grant from Nebraska, LaDamian Webb from South Alabama, and they'll see Laburn on Saturday. All three of them were teammates at Florida State at the same time. <laughs> to me, now that they're all on other teams that Georgia Southern has played this year, three years later, is nuts. And in the case of Laburn, I talked with their voice, Steve Cotton, earlier earlier today what a, what a phenomenal guy and he's been there almost three decades and he told me a little bit more about labor and story he didn't play football for two years he went to school at florida state didn't play but he worked as a food delivery driver he was an uber guy he worked in a lumber yard and he somehow kept himself physically ready before this martial opportunity came up and now he's got almost 1300 yards 10 games into the season just every every game i've watched with him he looks like an NFL running back, and I hope that he gets a chance to show that. I hope that he's not on his game on Saturday, considering Georgia Southern struggles to stop the run this year. But if they can at least slow him down and make, whether it's Cam Fancher or Henry Columbia beat them at quarterback, I know Fancher's the lefty that can move a little bit. Columbia's had a couple of really good games this year, but he's gotten banged up twice. He's been healthy, but I think Fancher has started their last four games. And if you get shots against him, you better score because Marshall's defense is insanely good. I think top 10 of the country in four different categories. They don't give up anything on third down. They've got studs at all three levels on their defense. I know I'm not really painting a great picture for Georgia Southern to try to win this game, but it's, it's very special because on Monday – Marshall had its fountain ceremony. They shut off the fountain for the 75 people that died in the crash. So I'm sure that that's going to be on their minds for the rest of this week. And 
it's something they've got to deal with every year, but they've tried to turn it more into a celebration instead of a morning because the guys that are around now don't necessarily have that direct connection to the guys that played, but they are trying to emphasize the story to those that are going to be part of the Marshall family. It's also Ag Day in Statesboro, where we're going to be celebrating our partnership with the Georgia Cotton and Georgia Peanut Commissions. You've also got Yancey Equipment going to be at the stadium. It's also a chance to celebrate partnerships with Yellowwood and Case High H Tidewater and all they do to promote agriculture in our state. And the maybe the best part of the whole thing is that the Budweiser Clydesdales are going to be at the game. I saw that. They're, they're going to, yeah, they're, they're going to, they're going to lead the team through the Eagle walk. They're going to be out in front of the yellow school buses through the parking lot and the tailgate lot and having a chance to see them. It, this, this is one of the coolest things that this place has ever done. And I, I'm, I'm really fired up for people to be a part of this. That is awesome. That is great. Uh, one last question about the game. Uh, Rashid Ali, do we see him again before the uh, season ends? In no, I, I would highly doubt it. Unless that, that's a secret they are keeping well, well under wraps. They've only got two games for sure, maybe a third if they go to a bowl game. But at this point, it doesn't seem – it doesn't seem – granted, I don't know where he is, if he's even ready to play. I know he's been back with the team for a while. He was gone for about a month on his leave of absence. But I would highly doubt that – he's doing anything more than just being a, being a vocal supporter of the program. And with the way that Kalen labor is playing, I don't know that they need him. Yeah. And that, that, that's a little bit sobering for Georgia Southern fans, but you got to be realistic about the fact that they've got a very balanced offense numbers wise, but when it comes down to it, they're a team that wants to be smashed mouth with that running game. Very good. Uh, before we, Final words. Uh, anything on basketball that's really stuck? I mean, I know we we picked up the we. Uh, I sound like a like a guy. The Sun Belt has picked up some big victories though uh, against some Power Five teams. Uh, your thoughts on those so far? Well, with Southern Miss, a team that struggled mightily last year to pick up some transfers, and I mentioned I think on a previous episode the two of their guys played at Mercer last year and. Georgia Southern knows them very well, so they'll get a chance to get reacquainted in late February. But for them to go to Vanderbilt and win convincingly, that was not a close game. Jay Ladner's team, they dominated Vanderbilt. And then for Troy to go to Florida State yesterday and even tonight with App State winning at the buzzer when Louisville's layup was was a split second late. Look, I know Louisville's lost all three of its home games against non-major schools. And App State is now 3-0. and But you're starting to see the effect that change has had number one I think it happened with softball and baseball at the same time while it was happening with football but if the start of the basketball season is any indicator where the league is heading on the court that's when this league is really going to take off number one and number two that's where it's truly going to become the top group of five or mid-major league I think in a number of ways it's there now but if basketball can find a way to get multiple bids into the NCAA tournament, not these bids into the basketball classic or the NIT or whatever, it's nice. But haven't had multiple bids to the NCAA in nine years. If you get there, that tells me that the Sun Belt is well positioned enough to be the best league that's not a Power Five league. And we have a uh, you know a, a nice matchup this evening with. Uh... I'm just looking. Oh, Mercer up on Georgia State right now. Looks like 71-69. And South Alabama uh, is hosting the University of Alabama at 9 o'clock on ESPNU. So um, some good opportunities, I think, around for the league. So, Yeah, and I think Southern – sorry, I, I think that South Alabama is going to win that game because Alabama is down. One of its top players, Javon Quinterly, is hurt. And I don't think that – Alabama realizes what a full Mitchell center is like because there's not too many places in this league outside of the Cajun dome that can say that we've got the ability to seat 10,000 people South had 10,000 there for Auburn and probably should have beaten the Tigers. They lost on the last second layup in the last time that they met. But even though Alabama is a pretty convincing favorite, I think that South is going to get this win and that's going to help the league a lot. Fun time to be a Sunbelt conference fan right now. So Danny, any last words of wisdom, whether it be about basketball? We, you've kind of mentioned baseball a little bit there. You threw that in there. So about anything that you'd like to talk about before we 
sign off for the evening? Well, going into the week, it was discovered. I think Dan brought this point up on the Sunbelt teleconference on Monday that there's a chance that as many as 10 teams could be bowl eligible out of this league. Not all 10 are going to go to a bowl because not all 10 are going to end up with six wins just by the nature of having to play each other. But this is just another application of how far this league has come. 2016 was the first time that a league team got ranked. Now it's a regular thing, and now it's become surprising when somebody isn't ranked or isn't beating a Power 5 team or the league isn't setting a record of some sort, whether it's in bowl performances or non-conference games, Power 5s, beating top 10 teams, whatever. This is not a bottom-feeding league anymore. And anybody that still thinks that, needs to take a look at how major sports have performed, are performing, and how they are trending. Because the things that were set in motion by Carl Benson years ago and the ball that Keith Gill has picked up and ran with, we're seeing the benefits of it. And I hope that there's six teams that are able to go to bowls this year because for the Sun Belt, that's never happened before. I also hope that bleeds into basketball season, men's and women's. I hope that adding teams like Southern Miss and Old Dominion for baseball and even James Madison, I know that Marshall has been great, but it's still a program that's going to get a new stadium soon. I hope it helps there. I think softball adding James Madison is going to be huge. And I, I, I think I've said this before, but I think that's only be, the beginning for the league, and I can't wait to see where it goes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, good luck to your Eagles this weekend, and we will talk next week more about uh, the bowl picture should be cleared up, but who knows what could happen. So I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. You're very Uh, welcome. uh, Well, you've been listening to We're Talking with Craig Melanson, Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. Any redistribution or reproduction of any part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited, except, ah, who the hell are we kidding? Distribute it, share it, put it in your podcast, broadcast it, or put it on social media. Just give credit where credit's due.